everybody. Welcome to the Sports. 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 Podcast. I'm Joel Anderson. I'm Jordan Pomaville. And joining us, as always, is the sports outsider, Phil Ranta. Yeah, I'm in the studio, so I get the good mic. Ooh. What has it uh, been like there, Phil? Like, I know we're not there. I know we've sent all the employees home. Yeah. How are you? What is it like just in the studio by yourself? Uh, it's echoey, and it's yeah. cold, and it's lonesome. Can you can you send us some pictures? Because I, I would venture, I don't think anyone's ever seen the floor of the studio, studio, studio completely empty. I'm, I mean, see, I'm afraid I can't send pictures because I heard the coronavirus has evolved and now can be transmitted via picture. Oh, yeah. this is going to be like our version of everyone doing like the creepy drone shots of shutdown cities. Right. Yeah. yeah it's like, be like, Chernobyl. like, oh, Gene's desk is empty. Yeah. Oh, look, the green room is empty. Oh, well, but I'm get totally... this. Gene left a tuna fish sandwich in his desk. <laughs> oh, that's Gene. Oh, Gene. A monster. I believe it's pronounced John, actually. No, it's, it's Gene. It's Gene. Okay. Um, I'm just saying, normally the, the thousands of staffers, you know, spread out across the, the news, news, newsroom floor, uh, I've, I've never seen not at least a few hundred people milling about. So yeah. the idea that the studio is completely empty right now, uh, you know, nobody except Phil in the entire 37-acre uh, complex. Yeah. Well, and most, yeah. most sports are empty, too. But that's where it leads us to our guest today, who is a PGA board member and, I believe, a club owner in his own right, Thurston Wentworth II. Yeah. And when we say club owner, we mean a country club. Yes, and, may, and maybe several. I haven't clubs. done full research on this guy. Might, might be a couple of country clubs. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. because there's I a, am a golf club owner. Yeah, a lot of people. Oh, are golf yeah, clubs. I should say that. So, yeah. yeah, that, <laughs> that is true. And I'm a dance club owner. Yeah, the bar yeah. is higher than that to get onto the Sports 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 podcast. And I am also a caveman club owner. Yeah. So, oh, so you, you showed us that, Phil. You yeah. keep going, do you want to see my collection of clubs? And we keep going, these are just sticks from around the neighborhood, Phil. Yeah, so, exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> They're big so you... enough to be considered clubs. <laughs> yeah. So that will be our guest today about uh, the reopening of the PGA. It looks like the PGA might be the first sport that we see back. Um, Makes sense. So, so we'll have him on to talk about that. Phil, we got a wide world of weird sports. You're goddamn right we do. And uh, sports throughout history. Ugh. But first, NFL Wait, wait, uh, do we have a sports uh, throughout Joel, history? Because I, I think it's Joel, Joel, no. It's Joel, your segment. You can't Joel. do that joke when it's your segment. We're not recording no. in person. We can't do this bit anymore. I'm sorry. Don't we do no. news, news, news. No. Is that not what we have on, on tap oh, this time? Oh, jeez, oh, Pete. Joel, what was our thing about 10-minute segments? Because <laughs> uh. I got to squeeze mine in with the intro. <laughs> NFL Draft Preview Death Watch. NFL Draft Preview Death Watch. Brought to you by Jerry Houston's Funeral Home. We're busy. <laughs> All right. The NFL Draft will happen exactly like your office's Tuesday morning Zoom meetings. <laughs> oh, yeah. Subheadline. Viewers brace themselves for plenty of cats on the keyboard. Oh, oh my gosh. Got babies running in the background. Uh, I don't know, Jordan. I've always thought that uh, football largely devoid of cat people. <laughs> well, I, I guess we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in this topsy-turvy sports world, only two things are certain. Bobby Bonilla will make $1.2 million on July 1st. <laughs> 
<laughs> and no one fucking tells the NFL what to do. That's right. Uh, Bobby Bonilla is going to be the highest played play, player in baseball this year. In professional Thanks. sports, Joel. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Uh, on Thursday, April 23rd, the NFL draft will air on ABC, ESPN, and the NFL Network. And workers in ad sales will get one, one precious day when their boss isn't up their fucking ass. Yeah. <laughs> Makes uh, sense. Rep- representatives from Nielsen expect the event to be watched by more than everyone breaking records. That's uh, a big number. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sports fans will get to watch something that's much closer to sports than ESPN's televised game of horse. And Detroit Lions fans will get their Super Bowl. Yeah. This is, oh. this is like, I mean, the dream for any Lions fan is to have the draft and have the regular season be canceled. <laughs> this just this really limits the embarrassment that we're going to have to suffer through. Of course, the draft's planned extravaganza in Las Vegas won't happen. And uh, the entire draft will be virtual. I don't know. I might bet that they'll be able to pull off that thing in Vegas. Ooh, I'll uh, take that bet. They've, they've already canceled it. Coaches yeah. will log online and draft remotely while Roger Goodell announces the picks from his rich guy basement. Next, <laughs> next to the sex dungeon, but further away from his actual dungeon. However, uh, keen viewers might be able to hear the screams of torture from that one concussion doctor Will Smith played in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and would that be from the sex dungeon or from the regular dungeon? Ooh, pray tell. I don't know. <laughs> if, he, um, if, if he shows good behavior, he might get moved over to the sex dungeon, but uh, it's a process. There we go. So here's the thing. They're doing it online. And they say, the, the NFL says the draft will take place on Thursday, uh, April 23rd. <laughs> yeah, right. I have no <laughs> idea why they think that date's going to stick. Someone's just going to say they can't do it then and want to move it at the last fucking minute. Right. Even after it was all agreed upon on an interminable email chain. Right. I mean, everybody's going back and forth about what have you got going on. And yeah. Uh, to prep for this, NFL teams have been preparing for this draft in an entirely different way. They are, in fact, testing the system with an online mock draft. Nice. Why? I can just <laughs> picture Bill Belichick. He's he's gets he's tr- keeps trying to get into a 32 team non PPR snake draft room on ESPN, but they keep getting filled up. <laughs> and then when he finally just opens one himself and waits 15 minutes for others to join so he can practice drafting against real people, half of them just fucking leave after round eight. And he's yeah. like, "What the fuck? I want to test to see if I'm able to get my high upside sleepers." Right? And he just doesn't get the chance to then. Bill Belichick's already pretty crotchety, so this is just going to... Oh, yeah. Now, now, Phil, uh, you work in IT, right? I mean, I work in digital media, but sure. Right. I, yeah, IT. So can yeah. you see what could go wrong with an entirely online draft? Oh, yeah. I mean, internet connectivity is spotty at best at most households. Audio quality is bad. Video quality is bad. People could walk into your shot. Uh what latency. about the name of a 1990s film? Uh, the Rock? Hackers. Oh, <laughs> I thought that the Dwayne The Rock Johnson was going to bust in. No, Hack the Planet. Yeah, hackers I could see hackers already, hurting it, yeah. Hackers have already disrupted a lot of work meetings, school meetings, church meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Ouch. <laughs> it, which apparently is an actual problem. 
uh, because they post the links online because they want to keep it anonymous so they don't email it to people specifically. Oh, yeah. Oh, anyway, what now, kind of jerk? <laughs> now, it, you got a billion-dollar corporation here doing something they've never done before on live television. And Roger Goodell doesn't look like the guy who's good at remembering passwords. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not to mention, one of the most uh, reported and common symptoms of CTE is whether your password is your first child's name followed by your jersey number or your wife's middle name followed by 69. <laughs> right, right. Nobody can remember after you get CTE. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, I don't want anyone's safety or security to be compromised. But if someone were to hack the NFL draft and put up an old school internet shock meme on all of the coaches' computers and every channel televising it, I think that'd be pretty great. I just want to see hamster dance. I want them to take it over and bring back hamster dance. I, I got to say, there's a silver lining. If you're the Jets GM, I think you finally have a really valid excuse for what happened to your draft. Like, ah, the Jets have that like, perfect boogeyman to blame. Yeah, like well, through round four, we got a total of two starts and be like, oh, hackers. <laughs> hackers. I didn't mean to draft any of those guys. Now, obviously, the NFL is trying to uh, inspire confidence and saying that, you know, this shouldn't happen. They're using uh, Microsoft Teams because Microsoft is a sponsor and not Zoom. Uh-oh. But I'm, I'm reminded of a 1990s joke that I can't remember if I stole from Dilbert which is one of my favorite oxymorons, Microsoft works. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Dilbert really had his finger on the pulse. Yeah, he really no, did. Smartest comedy of, of this century. And now it's time for another Sports Throughout History. Bum, 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 bum. Brought to you by... The History Channel. Do you know all of World War One yet? Actually, they rarely do World War One. They're yeah, too not a lot of footage from World War One. Yeah. yeah, which is a really important moment in history. You know what? We'll do that for next one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this week, though, we're going to be learning about Calcio Fiorentino. Calcio Fiorentino. Calcio oh. Fiorentino. This is the great grandfather of Guy Fieri. <laughs> ah, that's he's the founder of Flavortown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at Guy Nepotism Fieri. Nepotism will get you everywhere in Flavortown. Oh, sure. No, uh, uh, obviously, it's also known as uh, Calcio Storico, which is Italian for historic football. Oh. oh. Okay. It's an early form of football slash soccer and rugby that originated in 16th century Italy. Which, you know, quick reminder, guys, this is the Renaissance that we're talking about, 16th century Italy. So this is this is something that's being developed alongside Brunelleschi and Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. So uh, this is the height, you know, of human art and culture that we're, we're talking about. And century. it happens to be when they invented the Pizzone. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention the founding of Flavor Time. It was an important yeah, historical period. Yeah. Uh, the game may have started as a revival of the Roman sport, Harpostum. Harpostum. Yeah, which I would be doing this on, except that there's very little information about Harpostum. 
You know, that there's Oh, is it one of those Wikipedia says it's a stub and you could help by expanding upon it? No, it's it's more that the uh, the rules have been lost to time. There's descriptions of it, like uh, Athenaeus, uh, Galen, uh, Julius Pollux. They all wrote about it, but they didn't, you know, they were just sort of writing about it happening, not the rules of it. So we're going to have to go with uh, Calcio Fiorentino instead. Okay. Uh, so Calcio was reserved for rich aristocrats who played every night between Epiphany and Lent. Are those the ones that went to the talent manager's office and said, we've got a great act for you. And the talent manager said, all right, well, why don't you describe it to me? And they're like, hey, we pee on each other. It's called the aristocrats. Oh, no. Explicit tag. (laughs) No, no. These would be like actual Italian aristocrats. These are the people who at this time, it was like, oh, wow, their food's not rotten. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fancy. They're the ones that get all the mozzarella sticks. Yeah. (laughs) Their houses aren't anywhere near the places where we dump all our poop. They're a Tupazone family. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, the game could get violent as teams vied to score goals. A variation of Calcio Fiorentino was most likely played in the 15th century as well as a match was organized in the Arno River in 1490. Notable as a day so cold, the waters were completely frozen. Uh, it's a bit odd, you know, that, that uh, completely frozen in, I think, Arno's in Tuscany. Uh, pretty cold day in Italy. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, another be famous a cold thing. day in Italy before I invent a soccer rugby hybrid. Right. Uh, so getting to some of the rules here. Uh, matches last 50 minutes uh, and are played on a field covered in sand, twice as long as it is wide, approximately 100 meters by 50 meters. Uh, that's 109 yards by 55 yards. Uh, for Thank those you. who can't do the math in your head, shouldn't Thank be too you. hard. Yards three feet, meters approximately three feet, three inches, but whatever you guys want to do. Jesus. Uh, a white line divides the field into two identical squares, and a goal net runs the width of each end. Uh, so... So you got to imagine it's not really a goal. I guess it's basically like the whole end there. It's like uh, an end zone. Yes, an end zone would be a good way to put it, Jordan. Where'd you come up with that? <laughs> uh, each team has 27 players, and no substitutions are allowed for injured or expelled players. So uh, don't be a pussy. So you yeah. lose a guy, you lose a guy? Yeah, lose it? a guy, you lose a guy. Seems like the goal then would be to injure as many people as possible if you were on the other team. 27 enforcers. That's what I want. Yeah, there's a lot of sports like that, Phil, where the goal really winds up being injuring people. Uh, (laughs) The teams are made up of four Datori Indietro. These are the goalkeepers. Uh, Three Datori Inanzi. These would be the fullbacks. Uh, Five Sconiatori. These would be the halfbacks. And 15 Inanzi, or Corridori. And these would be the seekers who go out to find the golden snitch. Boo. Oh, yeah. Which is all that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the captain in the standard bearer's tent tent <laughs> sits at the center of the goal net, uh, and they do not actively participate in the game, but can organize their teams and occasionally act as cacas, referees, mainly to calm down their players or to stop fights. <laughs> so... To be clear, these are people who just hang out in a tent 
that's on the playing area and don't participate in the game unless they need to break up a fight. Seems like a good gig. Yeah. Yeah. A small cannon shot announces the beginning of the event. Oh, thank God. Pointed (laughs) at whom? So if you're sitting around going, why am I going to get this thing started? Somebody can turn to you and be like, "Uh, have you heard a cannon yet? (laughs) Much better. I want to say much better than National Anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the referee and the six linesmen officiate the match in a collaboration with a judge commissioner who remains off the field. You're a judge commissioner. You can't be dirtying yourself <laughs> with the everyday yeah. muckety-muck of calling these. Uh, the game starts when the uh, Palio, this is obviously after the small cannon shot, throws and kicks the ball towards the center line. Uh, then at the first whistle, uh, as the ball first rests on the field, 15 forwards, or Coriadori, begin fighting in a wild mixed martial arts match, punching, kicking, tripping, hacking, tackling, and wrestling with each other in an effort designed to tire opponents' defenses, but which often descends into an all-out brawl. Yikes. They try like to it. pin and force into submission as many players as possible. Uh, once there are enough incapacitated players the other teammates come and swoop up the ball and head to the goal. So I guess this is more like uh, soccer in which attrition is important. But, you know, you start the game and it's like, ooh, this could be a good game of soccer, but we have too many people here. So instead of just going straight to the soccer, you have a fight at the beginning to decide who's strong enough to play soccer. I like that. That makes a lot more sense to me. So, so if, am, I, am I hearing this right, that the goal was first, let's injure a bunch of people on the yeah. other team, and then once we've done so, it'll be far easier for us to score a goal. Yes, before the game can really get into, <laughs> into the go, you have to injure enough people for it to get started. Okay, okay, yeah. I'm into it. Uh, from this moment on, the players try by any means necessary to get the ball into the opponent's goal, also called Katya. Uh, the teams change side with every katya or gold scored. Uh, so make sure you pick up any teeth that you have lying on your side before you, you flip over. Uh, it is important to shoot with precision because every time a player throws or kicks the ball above the net, the opposing team is awarded with a half katya. Uh, the game ends after 50 minutes and a team which scores the most kache wins. Uh, I got to say to you, that might be a good idea for actual soccer. Like, if you take a shot and miss, you, you like, lose a half point or the other team gets a half point. I like that. Yeah. You know what? It takes something that Scott, soccer clearly has a problem with, which is overscoring. Too many people trying to score. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. We need to cut down the number of shots. Uh, along with the polio, the winning team used to receive a kianiana, uh, a type of cow. However, this has been reduced to a free dinner for the winning team. When you got to spread it out over the whole team, the free cow really it's, works best just to butcher it and have a feast. Oh, sure. Yeah. The players yeah. earn no other compensation. Just the thrill of the game, right? Yeah, you're doing this for free. <laughs> I don't know. The meal seems pretty great around that time. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> yeah. that. That was probably their weekly meal. That cow. Yeah, particularly if it has like 100 the- pizones. Yeah, if you're one of the people who was incapacitated and early going, I imagine you're looking forward to your beef dinner. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and uh, that, guys, 
is Calcio Fiorentino. Sounds delicious. Right? Uh, and so uh, next time, we're going to talk about another uh, variation on her pastum, and that would be Volata, uh, which was the game uh, made up by fascists in, uh, in hopes of uh, making an Italian version of rugby. Fun. Yeah. And that brings to a close another sports throughout history. Brought to you by... The History Channel. Have you learned all about the War of 1812 yet? Joining us now on the podcast is a PGA board member and a country club owner in his own right, Thurston Wentworth II. Hello, Joel and Jordan. It's so good to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for reaching out to me during this time. Oh, hey, thank you for uh, reaching back. It's wonderful to have a PGA representative on the show. Oh, it's I have plenty of time, although I have to say... Not as much time as all of those other sports. They've got all the time in the world. Well, yeah, yeah. a lot of them, you know, postponed indefinitely. Yeah, not golf. No, it you know sounds why? Like you're planning a mid-June return. Why is that? Mid-June, you know why? Because we are built for social distancing. Well, I think built for might not be the right phrase. Oh, no, we were planning this. We knew the day would come. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I feel like <laughs> a phrase I've heard is golf lends itself to social distancing. And oh, that, no, we were yeah. prepared for it. Okay, maybe explain that a little bit. Well, well, why do, you, why do you think when somebody lines up for their drive, they make sure everybody stands at least six feet away? Right. So hit by the club. It's because we knew this day was coming. Hmm. In, uh... in baseball, the catcher and the umpire are right there. Oh, they're on Des- top of each other, yep, practically. Despite the fact that they could, too, get hit by a bat. Well, uh, they stand pretty well back. Uh, they wear I mean, protective they- gear. Not yeah. six feet. You know what that means? They could catch coronavirus. Right. Not our no. golfers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I guess uh, it, it's just hard to imagine that this is... When you're talking about why... You know, why did they do this? Uh, I, I can't imagine that it's because they anticipated a pandemic. That was it is. To... That's what we've been. Anti- why, do, why do you think that we make sure that the crowd is so quiet? For concentration. So go, sh- Someone think it's concentration, but also it's preparing the golfers for the day when the audience isn't there. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I guess, okay. I guess yeah. if you're, if you're, an, if you're a Los Angeles Laker, and you're playing to an empty stadium, you're, you're thinking, this is weird. I don't think I can shoot this ball into that hoop. Whereas right, you if know, you're a golfer me? and it's completely quiet, you go, this feels right. There's no one there for their practices. I feel like they're going to adjust. They probably don't make as many hoops. Well, I think I, I feel like what you're getting on is maybe a criticism of golf, which is I feel like for a long time, one, one thing people have said about golf is it, it treats fans like they're an inconvenience. They are inconvenient. We wish they weren't there. Yeah, bigger than that, golf is a very elitist sport, you know, that it tends to to happen in places that are very isolated from the general public. Oh, we hate people. Yeah. We don't like human beings. And you know why? Because we knew someday they'd become super spreaders of germs and viruses. I'm sorry. Are you saying the PGA's official position is you don't like people? We don't like people. Well, we like I mean, golfers. Jordan, I don't know why you're surprised by that. That 
that tracks. Why do you think we have a long history of not allowing riffraff in our clubs? It's because riffraff carry germs and viruses. Yeah, you see, Jordan? Yeah, no, I see it now. I hear it. (laughs) Yeah. And why do you think we wear such uh, offensively patterned clothing? What? I thought it was just because you guys didn't have any taste. Oh, no. We we have lots of taste. It's, when people aren't golfing anymore, on go the t-shirts and leather jackets, and and they, they're, they're, they're just the talk of the town. <laughs> but, but we wear those loud patterns, almost like uh, a porcupine wears its spikes. So I'm, it's I'm their sorry. way of saying, stay away. It might not understand that if I were to go to a country club at a time when they were not expecting a visit from a general riffraff member of the public they would not be wearing the sort of loud patterns that people tend to associate with golf oh no joel it's it's at the clubs we always have to put on the veneer of stay away from me it's only when we're out hitting nightclubs oh that's when you're wearing your your big johnson novelty t-shirts yeah we wear uh big dog stay on the porch (laughs) right and no fear gear Right, yeah. of course. Thought, yeah. thought that coming. Okay. But, but is when we're out on the golf course, we wear the kind of culottes that say, you don't want to get within six feet of this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point. I, I, I agree. Uh, I guess I just never thought of it this way, but I, I probably should have. The, the, the biggest tip should have been, you know how when people are mowing the lawn on the golf course, they have cages around them. Right. Right. So they don't get yeah. hit with balls. Oh no, no. That's so the people who are driving the lawnmower don't get too close to us. <laughs> so you guys are imagining a scenario where you're out there in the driving range, just going away. And then again, general riffraff member of the public that you've hired to pick up your balls sees yeah. an opportunity to get close to some rich people, jumps out and, and tries to approach you. So you guys have locked him into a mobile cage. See, I think that's the mistake. You're talking about getting too close to rich people. The way we describe riffraff is high, high potential of carrying germs and viruses. <laughs> you know, when golf was invented, we were already planning for this. You've said this that several was, times. This was built into the DNA of golf. Since yeah. golf started in Scotland, and that's why we didn't let the Irish golf with the Scottish. Yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that that feels yeah. really wrong. But at the uh, same time, but how can it be wrong when it feels so right? It also feels I, like it, it does fits feel. with everything that I know about golf. Yeah, it's true. So I'm saying, so are you saying everything that we know of as like elitist and uh, maybe discriminatory of golf is predicated on the belief of keeping super spreaders away from you? Is that correct? I don't know if it's a belief if it's true, but I'll give one more example. (laughs) Okay. You know how if you hit the ball in the woods, we just say it's out of bounds and just let that ball stay in the woods? Right. Sometimes, That's because yeah. riffraff with germs in the woods can jump out and get you with coronavirus. <laughs> I don't think you know how the woods work. Yeah. That's what the woods. That's where. That's where the Irish live when they don't have homes. They jump out and they kiss you well, on the this, mouth to try really to give you. Sense. I mean, this they is try to give have, you corona. This is why you have those big fairways and open spaces in golf, Jordan, so that you can see for miles and miles to ensure 
that there's no mm-hmm. disease-carrying commoners who might approach you. So what I, we're trying to say is uh, now is a great time to take up the sport of golf. Just make sure that you test yourself in quarantine for 14 days before you get your filthy mitts on our tees. Yeah. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, Thurston, it sounds like what you're saying is now is not the time to take up golf. There's never a time to take up golf. It's just for you. Golf is only for the clean. So if you can show that you're clean, come on, drop on in, pay some greens fees. <laughs> well, well, uh, thank, thank you very much, Thurston. I really enjoy appreciate your golf. Time today. Watch from a distance at home. And now it's time for another wide world of weird sports. All fun weird sports. Everybody loves wide world of weird sports. Wide world of weird sports. What do we got this week? This week's wide world of weird sports. The champions dinner at the Masters. What's on the menu? Ooh. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, the champions dinner has been an annual tradition at the Masters since 1952. The idea is simple. The winners of the Masters are members of an exclusive club, so they get together each year on the Tuesday night of the tournament week to welcome the previous year's winner to the club. But that club is officially known as the Masters Club, and everyone at that gathering gets a Masters dinner. And the previous year's winner selects the menu, but they also have to pay for the menu. Oh, I didn't know that. I, oh, I yeah. Do the first part, not the second part. Oh, yeah. No, it's the, it's their way of saying, I'm part of the club now. I'm paying my dues. Oh, I see. Okay. Rice yeah. for everyone. <laughs> well, that's why I thought it might be fun to kind of run through some of, like, the past 34 years Ooh. of what everybody ordered. Who is the cheapest Masters winner ever? Ooh, I wonder if... Like Jack Nicholas really started to bring it down a few now. Oh, let, let, let's just go. I'll, I'll I, tell I you who it is. At one, well, you'll know once you read it, and then I can tell you why if you ask. So Tiger Woods okay. in 2020 went steak and chicken fajitas, sushi and sashimi, and milkshakes. Sounds oh. delicious. Yeah, uh, Sushi and milkshakes, though? I don't know. Well, well he's giving you options. You feels know? bad, man. Feels bad. You don't have to combine them in that way. That's true. I might, uh, just, I, I, I might just uh, ahead of time pick either fajitas or, or sushi and just yeah. hone in on one. Yeah, oh, and I got to say, you know, a, a, uh, not a lot of people do fish fajitas, but you could definitely, you know, do some uh, Mexican style grilled fish. And oh, El Cholo like does fish fajitas and they're wonderful. Yeah, like you're, you're much more on theme then than sort of tossing in, you know, Japanese cuisine with Tex-Mex. I'm actually making some tonight. Ooh. Hey, get it, get it. Sushi? Uh, Patrick Reed in in 2019, a choice of Caesar salad or wedge salad to start. The main dish is a prime bone-in cowboy ribeye with herb butter. Side dishes include macaroni and cheese, cream, corn, cream, spinach, steamed broccoli, and dessert is tiramisu, vanilla bean, creme brulee, chocolate crunch, and praline cheesecake. Southern boy, huh? That sounds delicious. It all seems a little obvious to me, though. You know? Steak, like, uh, you could do better than that. This is not a very creative option. Let's go with Sergio Garcia in 2018, who made an international salad, which uh, the ingredients were chosen to represent all the countries of past Masters champions. And the entree was 
arroz caldoso de bogavante, which is a traditional Spanish lobster rice. For dessert, Garcia chose his mother's recipe for a tres leches cake with tres leches ice cream. Man, if I were in the Masters, I would root for this guy every year. I would try to help him cheat. That's true. Uh, Danny Willett in 2017, the Englishman chose traditional British meal with mini cottage pies, traditional Sunday roast, which is prime rib roasted vegetables uh, and potatoes with Yorkshire pudding, and then apple crumble and vanilla custard for dessert. And then he finished with coffee and tea, English cheese biscuits, and a selection of wines. I thought the English themselves had accepted the fact that nobody likes their food. He should have. Like, right? read the room, Danny Willett. Like, I, I thought it was just understood that it was like British people were like, hey, one of the things we're going to do now is just pretend like we never had food and just adopt Indian food. Yeah. Which is smart because it's wonderful. Jordan Spieth in 2016. Get it, boy. So salad of local greens and a main course of Texas barbecue. Beef there. brisket, smoked chicken ribs, baked beans, bacon and chive potato salad, sauteed green beans, grilled zucchini, roasted squash, Warm chocolate chip cookies and vanilla ice cream. Wow. And you know what? Canada's own Jordan Spieth with a delicious <laughs> dinner. Yeehaw. And that, that is smart because that is not going to cost him a ton. And it's also going to be that. That's the great thing about barbecue. Like, Bubba Watson did the same thing in 2013 as he did in 2015. Traditional Caesar salad, grilled chicken breast, green beans, mashed potatoes, corn, macaroni and cheese served with cornbread. What an asshole. Grilled chicken? Yeah. Boring. I would think Bubba would be the guy that did the Texas barbecue, and Jordan would be the guy that would do grilled chicken. Right? I feel like Texas barbecue couldn't have cost that much more than his grilled chicken and would be a million times better. Yeah. I'm going to run through a little quickly because I realize we're running out of time and there's a lot to go. Adam Scott, lobster. Charles Schwartzel. Uh, seafood bar, shrimp, lobster, crab meat, crab legs, and oyster. Phil Mickelson, Spanish-themed seafood paella. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, Angel Cabrera, an Argentina sado, which is a multi-course barbecue featuring chorizo, blood sausage, short beef ribs, and beef fillets. Super like that. Yeah, Trevor Immelman uh, had baboti, which is spiced minced meat pie with egg topping. Sosadis, which is a chicken skewer, spinach salad. Uh, Zach Johnson in 2008, Iowa beef, Florida shrimp. Okay. Zach Johnson's (laughs) on the bad list. Yep. Phil Mickelson in 2007, barbecue rib, chicken sausage, pulled pork, boy, get a little coleslaw on it. Uh, Chicken sausage? Yeah, I know. Poultry sausage is just not, I mean, it's not terrible. Oh, there was a comma there. Barbecue ribs, comma, chicken, comma, sausage. Okay. All right. Then in that case, I have no issues. Tiger Woods, 2006, stuffed jalapenos and quesadilla appetizer, salsa guacamole, steak fajitas, chicken fajitas. He keeps going back to his favorites. Hey, for a large group of people, it's hard to beat fajitas. Uh, in terms of, you know, preparation, uh, easy to serve yourselves, easy to sort of get the right amount of food for everybody. I, I don't I, know. Can you imagine the master's waiters coming out with like a hundred sizzling plates? Ooh, that'd be fun. Seems like a lot of steam in that room. You're going to set off the fire alarm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phil Phil Mickelson went lobster ravioli with tomato cream sauce in 2005. Ooh, that's a really good call. Mike Weir, I assume, I don't know who this is, but I assume he's a true man. 
He had elk, wild boar, Arctic char, and Canadian beer. That's a lot of weird meats. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know what? I'm going to skip down a little bit because we're now way running out of time. This is the cheapest one, I think. Tiger Woods, 1998. Cheeseburgers, chicken sandwich, fries, and milkshake. <laughs> oh, man. Can you guys guess why he went cheap on to, in 1998? Early in his career. He didn't have he that. He was 22 money. years old. <laughs> was it his first or his second one at that point, though? That, that was his... his first win. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah, dude was 22. Of course he's going to get burgers, fries, and milkshakes. He's got college loans from Stanford to pay off. Right? I suspect, though, there were probably a lot of people who were, A, not too happy about losing the Masters to a 21-year-old, and then, B, not too happy about getting cheeseburgers as a result. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go to one more before we go, just because I know Joel's waiting for it. Sandy Lyle in 1989. Right. He's the one that did haggis, neeps, and tatties. <laughs> haggis, mashed potatoes, and mashed turnips. Which it's actually, if you guys haven't had it yet, not bad. Yeah. And that brings it into another wide world of weird sports. So I think Tiger Woods in 1998 might have had one of my favorite cuisines, even though it was super cheap. This is a podcast town. This brings to a close another sports. Sports. Sports podcast before we go we're going to bring back thurston wentworth the second to give you our contact information yes here i am back on the podcast lining up for the uh the contact information act information here all right you can find us on twitter by going to twitter.com slash sports number three podcast that's twitter.com slash sports number three podcast but make sure to wipe off your screen and if you don't don't give that screen to another golfer you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash sports number three podcast. That's facebook.com slash sports number three podcast. And as you know, that contact information is brought to you by Thurston's Yachts. If you're a golfer, make sure to buy a Thurston yacht. <laughs> or you can find all of our back episodes at anchor.fm slash sports number three podcast. That's anchor. .fm slash sports number three podcast. The podcast is absolutely free, so I have to assume it carries disease. <laughs> no, it doesn't know what it's like. It does not. That is not. Thank you for having me. I'm going to go wash my mouth. Hey, guys. Joel. A lot of golfers are assholes. Bye, Bye Joel. Joel.